Our scripture is from Matthew 2, from the NRSV translation. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph 
got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, in the text that Tim just read for us from Matthew's Gospel about the visit of the Magi, who were really astrologers from Arabia or Persia, King Herod was alerted to the birth of a rival king, a new king of the Jews. Matthew reports that in response, Herod felt frightened and perceived this infant to be a direct threat. Hearing that the new king had been born in Bethlehem, he later became very angry when the Magi, the astrologers, failed to report back to him as he had asked about the child's precise location and name. Having been warned in a dream, the Magi, the astrologers, avoided further contact with Herod before returning to their home in the east. Well, to eliminate this future threat, Herod then ordered the slaughter of all infants two years of age and younger in and around the small village of Bethlehem. Herod's action leads us to ask, is Jesus always a comforting and accepting and safe savior or at times is he also a disturbing Lord who challenges us to grow and change? Well, to help us understand our text, let's review a bit of Herod's history. Herod the Great was an able but paranoid and ruthless ruler. He remained in power as a Roman-appointed client king for 33 long years, using his political instincts to curry favor with Rome and using violence with his Jewish subjects as his chief weapons. In all, he married 10 women, including Miriam, a Hasmonean princess, hoping his link to the former Jewish royal house would legitimate his rule. It did not. In 30 BC, Herod had Miriam's grandfather, the aging Hyrcanus II, executed. He was the last Hasmonean to rule as a Roman vassal. Shortly thereafter, Herod ordered the execution of Miriam herself, his, his wife, along with her mother, Alexandra, thinking that they were plotting against him. Only after her execution did Herod discover she was completely innocent. Well, from that marriage to Miriam alone, remember he had nine other wives, Herod had three sons. They grew up mostly in Rome and were recipients of the finest education that could be provided, living for a time in the emperor's own household. Now, the youngest died in Rome, but the other two sons, Alexander and Aristobulus, returned to Judea in about the year 18 BC. Knowing that Herod had ordered the execution of their own mother, they were resentful and suspicious of him and he of them. As he aged, Herod grew increasingly paranoid, finally condemning Miriam's two surviving sons, his own sons, to death in the year 7 BC, which led 
Emperor Caesar Augustus to say, it is safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Near the very end of his life, Herod grew seriously ill, and his last order was to arrest the leading citizens from across the country and hold them in the stadium in Jericho. And then on his death, he ordered the execution of these thousands so there would be mourning in the land when he died. Herod knew very well that no one would weep for him otherwise. Fortunately, his order was not carried out. With that sort of paranoid and violent record, it's understandable that as an old man, Herod could have ordered the slaughter of the male infants in and around Jerusalem. While the murder of even a single infant is awful, the effects of his order have sometimes been wildly exaggerated to, to include many thousands of uh, young infants. Respected New Testament scholar Raymond Brown estimates the number to be no more than 20. Because of conditions in and around Jerusalem, it was a very small little village of less than a thousand people. So, uh, a more modest number of maybe 20 at most argues for the truthfulness of Matthew's report. What Herod's violent action means is that he saw the infant, Jesus, the future king of the Jews, as a distinct threat. He reacted to news of the birth of this new king with foreboding and alarm and characteristic violence. As the Gospels tell us, Jesus had no desire for political power and rejected violence outright for himself and his followers. In his ministry as savior or rescue worker, Jesus was habitually grace-giving. He welcomed outcasts like Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in Jericho, according to Luke's Gospel. He forgave sinners like the woman caught in the very act of adultery, according to the Gospel of John. He showed mercy and amazing grace, promising the convicted criminal on an adjoining cross that the man would be with him in paradise. At the same time, we must never forget that Jesus was also given the divine title of Lord, meaning master, owner, ruler. As such, Jesus disturbed and challenged and angered many, including many powerful people, which led to his crucifixion. It wasn't just Herod the Great who found Jesus a threat. Later in his life, the high priest Caiaphas and the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high religious council, wanted him eliminated. Today, the risen and ascended Christ often comforts and encourages us, but he also continues to disturb and challenge us. Some people want Jesus to be a comforter-in-chief, a safe savior who consistently comforts but never disturbs. And that brings to mind a scene that Dale kindly suggested to me from the 2006 comedy film Talladega Nights about race car driver Ricky Bobby, starring Will Ferrell. In one memorable and humorous scene, the family is at the dinner table, including Ricky, his gorgeous wife Carly, their two sons Walker and Texas Ranger, his father-in-law Chip, and his best friend and partner in racing Cal. Will says grace before a meal, which consists of food from Domino's Pizza, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Taco Bell, and addresses it to Dear Lord Baby Jesus, and later speaks in this prayer to Tiny Infant Jesus. 
At that point, his wife Carly interrupts the prayer by saying, Sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Ricky responds, I like the Christmas Jesus best when I say grace. When you say grace, you can say it to the grown-up Jesus or the teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. Later in the prayer, when his father-in-law interrupts with a comment, Jesus was a man, he had a beard, Bobby reiterates, I like the baby Jesus version the best. And then friend Cal jumps in, I like the picture Jesus in a tuxedo shirt. I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, I like my Jesus to party. Friends, you get the point. Bobby and his buddy Cal want to, to picture Jesus they can relate to and would enjoy spending time with and, and, and challenges nothing in their lives but just affirms them. They focus on the part of the biblical portrait of Jesus they like and ignore the rest. They ignore most of it because the Gospels don't spend a lot of time on Jesus' birth narrative. Sometime it's important, but... Uh, they avoid his whole public ministry. So they again, they choose what they like, ignore the rest. Don't we often do the same? The problem is that Jesus not only claimed to be our compassionate and merciful Savior and lived in that way, but also our Lord and Master. Jesus is indeed a Savior who comforts and soothes, while at the same time asserting his Lordship who, like the prophets of old, spoke truth to power and issued challenging demands. In a series of children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis pointed out many times that the great Christ figure in those books, Aslan the lion, was not a tame or domesticated lion. At one point in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first of that series, Susan asks Mr. and Mrs. Beaver if Aslan is a man. And Mr. Beaver, the animals talk in <laughs> the land of Narnia, Mr. Beaver responds, Aslan, a man, don't you know who's the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe. But he's good. Friends, yes, Jesus isn't safe, but he is good. He's not safe if we wish to lead lives undisturbed by his teaching and example. But he is good. For those who admit their need and are truly open to his message, Jesus is indeed our Savior who rescues us from our bondage to sin, evil, and death, who does for us what we could not do for ourselves. At the same time, Jesus is also our Lord, whom we are invited to follow. In doing so, we must be receptive to ongoing growth and challenge. Now, Matthew's gospel is filled with difficult demands from Jesus the Lord. 
And that includes his Sermon on the Mount, which will be the focus of our preaching of what Dale and, and Emily and I preach from early January through Easter this year. Now, to those who serve the God of greed, according to Matthew, Jesus warns, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. To those who put family loyalty before him, Jesus says, anyone who loves father or mother, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To those who hate their enemies, Jesus commands, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To those who want to withhold forgiveness from those who have hurt them, Jesus warns, if you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly, heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. To those who want Jesus to offer only safety and security but never challenge, Jesus says, those who do not take up their cross and follow me are not worthy of me. Do we worship a dangerous or domesticated Jesus? Is he our savior or our demanding Lord? The truth is that Jesus is both. Rescuing us from sin and death, he receives us as we are with no preconditions except our openness. But then having entered into our lives, he leads us and really demands that we grow and change. So my question to all of us today, and to myself as well, have we fashioned a savior in Jesus who looks and sounds and acts just like we do, who simply reinforces our culture's values? Or have we rightly allowed the gospels to honestly also present Jesus as Lord, one who challenges many of our behaviors values, and beliefs. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that Jesus came not only as Savior to comfort and encourage, but also as Lord to challenge us to ongoing growth and personal transformation. Fill us with your Spirit and help us to grow in faith and obedience as we seek to become fully developed followers of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.